Let's stand all over the house this evening. And let's join together by worshiping the Lord. We're going to sing a hymn, old hymn of the church, just over in the glory land.
let's remain standing for prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you. We glorify your name and we lift you up today. God, we ask that you would take the remaining portion of this service and let it be for the upbuilding of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask these things. Amen and amen. Will you take just a few minutes and greet those around you in the Lord this afternoon? Let's remain standing. Let's stand back together. We're going to do just that. This next song says praise him. Praise him in the morning. Praise him when the sun goes down. So let's worship the Lord together. Let's sing together. For we will praise him. Praise him. Praise him in the morning. Praise him in the noontime. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him when the sun
song's an old hymn of the church. Let's sing it together. It says, I want to know more about my Lord. So let's worship the Lord tonight. Sing it together. While traveling through this world of sorrow, I'm on my way.
to worship with the Lord as we sing in moments like these. For in moments like these, I sing out a song. I sing.
Lord, we just love you and we thank you for your presence that we have felt today in this morning's service and this evening as well. Father, I pray that, Lord, as we get ready to here in just a moment to break the bread of life, God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, I thank you for people of God that were present this morning. And, Lord, I thank you for those that are joining us tonight online and in-house to worship the Lord together. Father, we know that Sundays are oftentimes busy days and they are sometimes exhausting days, but God, they're consecrated days and set apart days so that we can just spend our time as much as possible with you. So Father, we want to honor you, Lord, while we've heard countless joyous singing and scriptures and prayer and lessons and messages spoken in this house already today. We want to give honor to whom the guest of honor is every week, and that's the Holy Spirit of God. Father, I pray that as we get ready to read the word of the Lord, you would open the eyes, the hearts, and the ears of those in this place so that they can hear what the word of God is saying to them today. For that, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. Christ's name we pray and ask, and the people of God said amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, would you go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 15? Absolutely. Let me give you this. They won't hear you. I went to the surgery, have not had not one thing to bother me. I mean, everything is wonderful. The doctor just fixed my face up, put 15 stitches in it, but not, nothing has hurt me at all. So remember, if you trust in God, nothing will happen. And I love the Lord. Amen. Amen. Yes, Miss Alma normally gets to be, tries to be with us when she can on Wednesday nights. And um, this past Wednesday night was obviously unable to be with us due to the fact of her having to have that procedure done. And we had been praying for her procedure and that it all would go well. And um, just like Miss Mary's praise report we gave this morning, uh, God still specializes in uh, doing miracles. So. Exodus chapter 15, we're going to start in verse number 20. We're going to read down to verse number 27. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dance. And Miriam said unto them, Sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed graciously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. 
So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went there about three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they had came to a place called Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter, and therefore the name of that place was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What should we drink? He cried out unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, and he cast that into the waters, and the waters were made sweet, and he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently... Heed to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his sight. You give ear to his commandments. You keep his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought out of the land of Egypt. For I, the Lord, your God, am the one who heals you. Then they came to a place called Alim, where there were twelve wells of water, seventy palm trees. So there they camped by the waters a few minutes tonight I want to just talk to you on tambourines and trees tambourines and trees let's pray together Heavenly Father the best of my ability help me to preach your word today I pray you would help us not to be just hearers of the word but doers of their likewise open our hearts eyes and ears to hear your word take a coal from the altar of heaven anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare not my words but your words Father, I commit the, re the remaining portion of this service, every, every note still yet to be played, song to still potentially be sung, or message to be given. Let it be for the advancement of God's kingdom. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, I pray. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Timbrels, uh, tambourines, if you will, or timbrels, are the same one and the same. The Bible calls them timbrels. But if you look those, that word up in the Greek and Hebrew language, it is the same idea or connotation of where we get our modern-day word of a tambourine. It is a unique device. In fact, tambourines have a unique sound to them. They have a unique, if you will, uh, look to them. They come in various shapes, sizes, and colors. Some of them come in a half moon. Some come in a more perfectly circle or spherical look to them more than likely in the Old Testament they would have had more of a rounded shape to them where they would have been able to use some type of, of skin of an animal or something to to pull around the wood and inlay the symbols in there so it would have probably been more spherical than it would have been the half moon modern design that you sometimes see but Israel was now if you will an unpursued nation they have already come through the Red Sea and yet the road ahead of them was still just as difficult. In chapter 14 of Exodus, we know that they had seen Pharaoh's army defeated and they had safely crossed what we call the insurmountable Red Sea. They were standing there and God did a miraculous miracle. At the beginning of chapter 15, Moses begins to sing what is often called the Song of Moses. Moses sings unto the Lord a song and and, and Moses gives some, some details as to what took place. However, the real journey now begins for Israel because they're out of Egypt. They've crossed the sea, but there's a vast wilderness ahead of them with no end in sight. They know God's promised them this place of a land flowing with milk and honey. They, they know God's promised them a, a, a land of perfect rest and place of peace, but... 
when you're standing there at the desert and all you can see is for miles and miles and miles is nothing, it's hard to believe that God still has that place out there for you. And so they're out there and they began this, if you will, track across the desert of sands towards this unknown land of promise. Many of us, if we were truly honest with ourselves in this place and those watching online or those that may stream this later, if we were truly honest with ourselves, many of us have been on roads where we felt were too difficult to travel. We've walked roads that we thought, you know what, this is not what I asked for, this is not what I wanted, and it's not very comfortable or it's not a good place or feeling. Some of us have felt like we maybe have just come out of one victory and saw the miraculous hand of God only to find that right around the next bend is even more problems and maybe even potentially bigger problems than the one I just came from. We feel like we just got caught our breath. Some people describe it as, Pastor, you don't understand. I felt like I just was beginning to catch my breath and then the next wave hit me. People will describe it as I just finally thought I had come through and was going to get a little bit of rest and then the next problem showed up. See, the devil doesn't care about you catching your breath or getting a rest. All he cares about is taking you out, however that means and whatever that means. He doesn't care about your well-being and your, your how do you feel and how does it make you feel. It's not what he cares about. Not at all. They have come out of this land... And so the first thing I want to point out to you is we find this place of rejoicing at the Red Sea. They cross the Red Sea. What a time to rejoice. I mean, you think about it. If you really read and you really study, and you, even if you just surface read the story or the encounter of the Red Sea, no wonder they rejoice. I mean, you think about what God has just done. They have been in Egyptian bondage for years. They have been slaves. They get to the Red Sea only to find Pharaoh's armies hot on their pursuit. And, and when they get there, they, they feel like they're trapped. They can't swim a million and a half people with luggage and chariots and horses and children. They can't swim across the Red Sea. And there's an army that is a trained militia that has swords and spears. There's no way they're going to overcome them. They are trapped. They, they thought they were free. They were escaping. They had finally got that place of, of rest only to find Pharaoh is hot on pursuit. The Bible says the cloud that went before them that night, it moved from behind them and that fire at night set behind the camp and in the middle of the night, God tells Moses to hold up his staff. Moses holds up his staff and God calls the wind to come out of the uh, west or the east and, and it came and it started to blow. And the Bible says throughout the night the waters began to abate and it rolled back. And by the time the dusk of the morning light kind of permeated through the sky, there's dry ground in the middle of a Red Sea. Something that's never been done, seen before, never been done before, can't be explained. They track across this dry ground or this riverbed or they get to the other side only to find that the cloud moves and is coming back to the front of the line. And as the cloud moves, so does the armies of Egypt. They come rushing in to the middle of that Red Sea riverbed. And when they all, the Bible says, when all of Pharaoh's army got right about the middle of the sea, about that same time, the last of the Israelite camp just stepped out of the bank. Bible says the winds came back with such force and the waves 
literally crushed horse rider, the chariot of the Egyptian army. The song of Moses in chapter 15 so graphically illustrates and expresses what God has done. Moses says things like, I will sing unto the Lord for his triumph gracefully. His horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. That's pretty vivid imagery. He is my strength. The Lord is a man of war. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts have been cast into the sea. His captains have drowned. The depths of the waters have covered them. They have sank to the bottom as a stone. He has overthrown them. He has sent his wrath towards them. With the blast of his nostrils, the waters were gathered together, floods upright as a heap, and the depths of the water came back together. I mean, Moses gives a very vivid picture, if you will, of what happens to Pharaoh's army. No wonder, he, no wonder Israel wants to rejoice. What a way to rejoice. I mean, God's just brought you out. God's just done something incredible. And in the middle of this, this right in the interspersed between this song and this dynamic conclusion, Miriam shows up. We started, we read it there, chapter 15, verse 20. Moses is singing his little heart out. Moses is just doing his praise break. He's having his proverbial Jericho march, the old church used to call those, uh, where you walk around the church in the middle of a song and you just worship the Lord. I mean, Moses is just worshiping the Lord. Well, all of a sudden, Miriam's like, well, I don't want to be left out. And so the Bible says that in the middle interspersed between the song and the conclusion of this song, Miriam grabs a timbrel. Miss, Miss Brenda, will you bring me your tambourine? Miriam decides, I can't sing louder than Moses, but I can make noise louder than Moses. Now you're, you're, you're Miriam. I'm not a woman. I can't play it. And what happens is Moses is just singing away. Well, all of a sudden, Miriam decides, well, I don't necessarily sing as good as Brother Moses. I may not be as musically inclined as Brother Moses. I may not play the, the piano like Sister Carol, or I may not sing like Sister Jennifer or Sister Sherry, or I, I may not can play the horn like Brother, Brother Mike can, but what I can do is I can play a timbrel. I can play a tambourine. Now, we are probably one of the most unique churches in all the entire world because most people don't have a tambourine player in their church anymore. They don't. In fact, most churches try to get rid of them because they, they, they can't. It's hard to mic a tambourine, and it's just hard because the, the, the sound of a tambourine is so unique. It is literally these little, I'm going to give it back, Miriam, don't go anywhere. But it's literally these, they're just two little symbols that are put together, and basically they only make noise when the user of the instrument begins to make it talk, if you will, or make noise. So Moses is just doing his thing. Everybody's doing. Miriam says, you know what? I may not can sing. I may not can play. I, I may not be like everybody else in the band. But I can beat a tambourine better than anybody this side of, this side of heaven. I remember one time I got to go to an all-African-American church one time. And they were all singing. The keyboard player played. But they had one lady on the stage. She was a, a very healthy woman. She was pretty good size. And she had a tambourine. But I... I know she beat the brains out of that guy. But you talk about could play a tambourine. You say, well, 
The tambourines don't have a definite pitch. They're indefinite. They don't, they, you know, they're not tuned to the key of A flat. No, no, no. But whatever she, it didn't matter what song we were singing or what song they were singing, her tambourine worked it. It was on key every time. She just beat it and beat it and beat it. So while Moses was singing, Miriam started playing. I just want you to beat it. Just beat the mess out of it. Just beat it. Just beat it. See, Moses is just singing, but while Moses is keep playing, while Moses is trying to sing, everybody in the crowd is hearing. Moses is trying to sing of the greatness of the Lord, but everybody else is like, Moses, you know, you need to be quiet. We, we hear something, and all they hear is Miriam in the distance. And the Bible said the more Miriam played, the Bible never said Miriam asked anybody to go follow her. She just worshipped God because she wanted to worship God all by herself. But the more she played and worshipped God, the more curious everybody else got to be in. So what happened is, so you're going to Jericho march. So you just keep playing your tambourine. Just walk around the whole church just playing. Just have fun. Just play all night. Just play all the way around. She's just worshipping. She's doing her thing. Well, everybody, Moses is still singing to the Lord. Great are you, Lord, and greatly to be praised. But everybody else keeps hearing that noise, if you will, that ringing of the cymbals, that ringing, if you will, of the, the timbrel or what they call the tambourine. And so what happens is a few minutes later, Moses is just playing his heart out. He's just singing his heart out. He's doing everything he can. But all of a sudden, Miriam is just keep playing. Some of the ladies in church just decide, you know what, I'm going to follow Miriam for a while. Just walk with her. You ain't got to do nothing. Just walk. You ain't got to do nothing special. You ain't got to play. And they start following Miriam. And I don't know where Moses is in the process, but what I do know is the Bible said the ladies of the church started going with, with Miriam, and they started worshiping, and the Bible said started dancing before the Lord. I don't think they were learning how to do the Cupid shuffle. I don't think they were learning how to do the chicken dance or how to do the cha-cha slide or how to waltz or how to do ballet. I believe as they kept playing, something got a hold of those ladies. And as they began to worship the Lord, something, they just felt the beat inside of their feet. And they started worshiping the Lord all over the camp. And they started declaring, God is great and greatly to be praised. Oh, we worship you, Lord. You are majestic. You are holy. You are mighty. You are victorious. And the Bible said they turned into an all-out worship service because God had done something great in their life but it all started with the hearing of the tambourine thank you I'm not going to make you do that all night I won't make you play it all night but the point of it is this Miriam didn't go to the stage and say okay Moses I want to sing a solo Miriam didn't say, well, Moses, you've had your time in the limelight. You're up there singing and you're being the preacher. So now I want you to move over and let us do our part. No, no. Miriam said, it doesn't matter if anybody else's praise is God or not. I'll just praise him with my timbrel. I can't play what they, I can't play the drums like Brother Larry, so I'm not even going to try. But I can play a tambourine. I, I, can't, I can't play the saxophone like Sister Jennifer. I can't play the trumpet like Brother Mike can, but man, I can play a tambourine. You say, well, Pastor, I can't even play a tambourine. No, but the Bible says that God gave everybody in this house ten stringed instruments. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And in the middle of service, it, you may not be playing the drums, and you may not be playing the piano, but as you begin to play, Brother Andy, just play this. Just, just keep hitting it. But as the worship begins to play, you can just... 
You see, Pastor, I don't play a tambourine. No, but you play worship. You play praise. You may not be beating the tambourine. You may not be playing the horn. But if you've got anything to give God praise for, whether we're singing just a little talk with Jesus makes it right, or I'll fly away, you can put ten string instruments together and just say, oh, clap your hands, all ye nations, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. We can rejoice because God is good. We can rejoice because God is good. The reality of it is this. We know for a fact, the Bible tells us that we are to rejoice and be glad. The Bible tells us that God has led, he said, if we don't worship him, the trees of the field will do what? They'll clap their hands. The psalmist David said, the trees of the field will clap their hands. I don't think, Brother James, God wanted the trees to clap their hands. But he did say that even if you don't praise me, the rocks will find a reason to praise me. So I think when the psalmist David was saying the trees of the field will clap their hands, I think what David was trying to say is I'm not going to let a tree out clap me in worship. I'm not going to let a tree out praise me in church. If God been good to me, I'll praise him, I'll worship him, I'll magnify, I'll glorify him. I'm not going to let a tree do better than I can do in his house. They're rejoicing. The ladies are excited. You see, they had, for a while, felt like they had no might to repel Pharaoh and his army, but yet his army was destroyed. They didn't think they had any hope of survival, much less continuation, but yet God provided a way where there seemed to be no way. At this particular stage in the journey, Doubt was unthinkable. Discouragement was impossible. Defeat seemed incomprehensible. That's a great place to live. It's a great place to live when you think, I got nothing to worry about. I'm not discouraged. I can't be defeated. It's a great place when you feel like nothing can go wrong. But you don't always get to stay in that season. That season comes, but it also goes. Now, we're going to drop down to verse 27 I read to you. We, we find not only was there rejoicing, but we find some resources at a place called Alim. The Bible describes this place that after a few days' journey, they had found this place. There was an oasis, a, a place, an oasis literally is a fertile spot of ground in the middle of a desert where water is found, where it seems to be nothing should be living, but something is. That's what an oasis is, something out there that makes no sense. This oasis had 12 wells. It had 70 palm trees. Biblical numerology tells us the number 12 is governmental numbers. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 gates of pearl. Even the dimensions of heaven are in derivatives of 12. 144,000 square miles, you know, 12,000 square miles, 140,000 uh, elect. You know, it, it's all derivatives of 12. You divide it out in 12s, you can get whole numbers out of that. The government. But it had 70 palm trees. Well, we know seven is a divine number of completion. Six days the Lord rested, seven day, seventh day, or six days the Lord created the earth, the seventh day he rested. So it's divine order. This oasis had plenty of water. It was a beautiful place in the middle of a wilderness filled with nothing. Right in the middle of nothing, God put something majestic. 
Can I tell you that sometimes in our seasons of feeling like there's nothing out there, that's when we find that God is actually out there. Nothing else seems to matter. We don't see any hope in sight. But in the middle of nothing, we find God is out there. The family has deserted us. The job has deserted us. The kids have turned on us. The marriage has fallen apart. The finances are in disarray. In the middle of nothing. Somehow God takes beauty and trades our ashes and makes them beauty for ashes. In the middle of nothing, God shows up and provides a way where there seems to be no way. You see, this place was a pleasant place to camp. It was a marvelous divine provision. It was found in the middle of dryness and desert places. And God had designed it for it to be a place of rest. And refreshment. He designed it on that way on purpose to be a place for them to go and find whole and healing. The resources there were not only just adequate, but they were abundant. It wasn't just an average place. It wasn't, well, there's one or two trees and a little spring of water. No, it was 12 wells or pools of water and 70 palm trees, meaning it was provision for all not for some but for all God is not a God just for some people he is a God for all people they have to choose him but God doesn't pick and choose God said he is God for all not just some for all this place was not only beautiful but it was bountiful it had plenty of places to rest it was a, a place of pause, if you will, to be refreshed, but a place to know that the journey must continue. Alim was a place designed for a traveler passing through to camp, but not to colonize. It was designed for you could come and stay here for a few days to get some rest, a respite, if you will. But once you get rested up, need to keep moving on there are times in our lives that people will find places like Elim and they will rest there but instead of resting to continue on their journey of faith they will get complacent and they will camp not only camp there they will colonize that place they'll get complacent in church they'll get complacent in their Bible reading they'll get complacent in, uh, in prayer they'll get complacent in, in various aspects God never designed for his church and for the people of God to settle. He created for us to be people of God on the move. Go into the highways and byways and compel them to come. Go ye therefore and teach them, baptizing them in the name of the Father. God's design was for us to go reach people, not just stay put. Church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday nights, that is our place of Aline. That is the place where we should come in and we should rest, get refreshed. Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night church should be the time where you recharge the batteries, refuel, kind of get a second wind. But not to colonize, but to go out Monday through Saturday out there into the highways, the byways, into the world and reach other people and bring them back to the place of rest and refreshment and safety. See, some people feel like that their Sundays and Wednesdays in church 
they go, they do it, they do what they're supposed to do, and that's all they're required to do. But this is not all that we're required to do. Our job is not to be here. It's what we do out there. The Bible says, yes, we should gather together, but he says we got to go out there and tell the world who Jesus is. We have to be witnesses. We have to tell them they need Jesus. I remember when uh, I was on a mission trip and I was flying overseas on this mission trip. We were flying and it was a long flight. And we were flying overnight, if you will, into the night so that we would land overseas in the morning in a different time zone. And we were in the air for hours and hours and hours. But obviously, like just like your car, a plane has to have fuel. They only fly so long before the fuel runs out, and if you don't refuel them, they don't keep flying. They, there's this thing called gravity that takes over, and when those thrusters ain't thrusting through the air, gravity just sends you right back down to the ground. Well, on this journey from point A to point B, there's not enough fuel to get from point A to point B because the tank's not big enough. So on this flight, there is this place out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, out of nowhere. I don't even remember the name of the island. I couldn't tell you. I couldn't put my finger on it. But it was a military fueling station. And they would allow commercial planes to come in just for fuel. And literally, you drop down. I mean, the end of the island, the one end of the island is the start of the runway. The other end of the island is the end of the runway. If you miscalculate any of that, you're in trouble. So you better hit the wheels at the front and hope they stop at the back of this island. There is no, you know, you may have to touch and go and get back up off the ground, but when you pull into this thing, you literally look out your window and, and there's this, like, little tiny hut. It's not even a big building. And the captain gets on and he says, this on your flight, on the flight that I was on, he said, ladies and gentlemen, we're stopping here to get fuel. Uh, unfortunately, we can't let you off the plane because there's nowhere for you to go. This literally is just a fueling island. We need fuel, and we're just going to be here long enough for them to fuel up the state, just to fuel up and do what we need to do, but there's not an airport for you to get out and stretch your legs and do it. It is literally just designed to fuel this plane. Now, some of us could have got off that plane, sat there on the island, and said, this is all as, I'm, as far as I'm going. I'm not going any further. I've been on this plane far too long. I'm not going any further. That plane, Brother James, could have took off and headed on to its final destination. Guess where I would still been? Right now, sitting on that island, all by myself, like a little castaway with a volleyball named Wilson, trying to figure out how am I going to get back to the United States. Because while that island was the, there to refuel the plane, it was not there for us to stay there permanently. There are times on our spiritual journey, God will take us places he only allows us to stay in that season long enough to refuel us, but he will not let us stay there permanently before he moves us to the next place. And the reality of it is that the Bible teaches us that there is, according to Song of Sol according to Solomon, one of the wisest men of all time, so every time there's a season. But seasons come and seasons go. Rejoicing at the Red Sea was wonderful. But they couldn't stay at the Red Sea forever because that was not the promised land. The resources of Elim were bountiful. It was beautiful. But God did not call them to Elim. He had called them to Canaan. 
the land of promise. That was not their final plea. But oftentimes, somewhere between your rejoicing seasons that you go through and to the places of bountiful blessings like Alim, it seems like in between those two mile markers or those two landmark experiences, you oftentimes will find your place at a place called Mara. You'll find yourself at a place that you did not see coming and you don't really know how you got there. The Red Sea was wonderful, but after they leave the Red Sea for three days, they walk and they walk and they walk and they only got the water that's in their canteens. They only got the water that's in their, their, their travel bags. After about three days, they're getting hungry, irritable, tired. I say this all the time, and, and, and I've I referenced this before. When you go on a trip with my father, you won't go hungry. You won't even get from here to Walmart before we're stopping at Parker's to get a drink before we even hit the road to where we're headed. His house is five minutes up the road this way. He could pick me up from here at the church, and we could be going to Goose Creek, but we'll stop at Parker's because we need a snack and a drink to get to Goose Creek. That's the truth. When we would go to the hospitals in Orangeburg, you would get on, a, on the interstate exit 139, and you would have to go to Columbia, which is around, you know, the 116s, 15s, all that area up there, and to get to different hospitals, 108s. We would leave the church. We would drive down Highway 21. We would get to exit 139. Right before the interstate, there was this big, huge truck stop right there. It had an Arby's in it, a big old pilot gas station. Every time he'd say, take a left, pull in there, son. Minister of Music would be in the car with us. If he was driving, he'd tell whichever one was on our staff at that time, pull in. And everybody loved to travel with the preacher because they knew if he's going somewhere, we get food and drinks out of this that we don't pay for. See, Brantley wants to come, and he's not even on staff. He wants to come. It was part of the journey. It's part of the journey. When I travel with Brian and Brian and I travel places, I travel with, with the grocery store. Because my wife is, it's her blood sugar and stuff. Sometimes she has to eat different things and stuff. And, you know, and with her schedule and night shift and all, whatever. But she never knows what she wants to snack on. So you can't stop at the gas station and buy her a snack because she might eat three chips and decide that really didn't fix her urge and she wanted something different. You can't buy the whole convenience store. So what I do is I buy a Walmart. And I just put all of Walmart in my car. And then that way she can go grocery shopping in the back seat. Everything from beef jerky to chips to cereal to granola bars to candy to chocolate. I mean, you name it, she's got it. And the reality of it is, is it's wonderful. You have unlimited resources. But the reality of it is, in our life, and our spiritual journey, sometimes we will be shouting to God with the voice of triumph and rejoicing because of his victories. And sometimes we are just getting blessed and we're all blessed. Oh, how great and how mighty are the benefits and blessings and how bountiful the Lord has bestowed his blessings upon us. But between those two places, there's the reality called life. Life. When I would travel with my, my dad and our staff and we would go somewhere, the most devastating thing that could ever happen on our trips was for them to be out of ice at the traction machines. It would, it would like deflate my father's heart. He loved the ice and the machines. In fact, since he's moved here, he has joined the Parker's Chewy Club. Some of y'all know what that is. 
Some of y'all, y'all, some of y'all have tithes to Parker's with that Chewy Club. You pay your $7.99 a month to get your free drink. But I remember not too long ago, I don't remember what was going on. He was going to get his Parker's drink, and I don't even remember why I was, I was with him, whatever. We go to Parker's, he walks inside, he puts his cup to the thing, and guess what? Chewy Ice did not have. Chewy Ice. Chewy had forgotten to call the ice company and get more ice. So, yeah, of course, he still, you know, he wasn't going to not get his drink, so he just filled it all the way up. We get in the car, and he goes, well, that's kind of a bummer because I really want the ice. I said, are you paying for the drink or for the ice? The ice. He's like, yeah, I pay for both of them. I want all of them. I'm paying for it. I want it all. The reality of life is sometimes, no matter if we're shouting to God or we're being blessed, in life, life happens in the middle. And what happens is Moses and them are journeying for three days. They're thirsty, and they see in the distance what they perceive is a place of rest. They walk up there, and they find there's water. And the people of God are getting excited. They're like, finally, we're hot, we're thirsty, there's water. And right before they're getting ready to just shed the baggage, shed the, 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 the if you will, the tents, and, and get the kids off the wagons, and Moses says, stop! Don't drink the water. It's poison. It's bitter. It's nasty. You'll get sick from it. You can't have it. Oh, could you imagine the frustration? Right between times of victory and refreshing, the frustration and the disappointment and distress. Can you imagine how they felt? They are hot and tired and thirsty and they can see the water, but they can't have. It's like telling a little kid on Christmas morning, it's their gift, but don't open it. Those children, like, have this innate ability. They can't, it's like, they try their hardest not to go touch the gift, but it's like a magnetic draw. They have to go over there. You can't put the gift out until after they go to bed on Christmas Eve, because if you go put out any earlier, even if you say, don't touch it, you know good and well, as soon as you walk out the room, that magnet's going to suck them in that they could not control, and they'll tell you, I couldn't control it. Something just sucked me over there and pulled the paper back. Because they, they're just, the people of God, they see the water, they want it, they want it, they want it, and yet it's so close and tangible that they can't have it. Three days after the Song of Moses, Three days after rejoicing at the Red Sea, they come to a place of bitterness, disappointment, distress. The realities of Mara are this. Their thirst was unbearable, the water was undrinkable, and the complaining was uncontrollable. They couldn't stop. They get so mad. Moses, you brought us out here. We have no more water. We're thirsty. We're tired. We have water, but we can't drink the water. You did this. What are you going to do about it now? As if Moses has a, you know, an ice cooler in the back of his, you know, caravan to give them all water. In just three short days, the people had forgotten about the rejoicing of the Red Sea. And yet they were so unaware of how close they were to the oasis called Aline. But in between those two places, all they could see was disgruntlement, complaining, frustration. They become disillusioned. But another reality surfaced in that moment. While they're complaining, 
The thirst was unbearable. There, there, the water was undrinkable, if you will. The, the complaining was, if you will, uncontrollable. But for Moses, prayer was unresistible. He, had to, he, could, he couldn't do it. He couldn't fix it. They complained. The Bible said Moses listens. And he just turns his back to them and walks away and says nothing to them but says everything to God. Sometimes the best thing in life is not to talk to them, it's to talk to him. Sometimes it's better to let the world say whatever they're going to say and let them do whatever they're going to do. And when they're done, turn your back and just take it to the Lord in prayer. Leave it there. Take it to the Lord in prayer. They can call you anything, say anything, be anything, but when it's all said and done, you just give them to Jesus and say, here you are. I can't do this anymore. He takes it to them in prayer. Moses didn't panic. He prayed. Prayer brings the power of God, the provision of God, the pleasures of God. Often to the distance. I picked this little illustration here. I don't even know where this tree is from. Uh, Google Images didn't tell me where it was from. But it's somewhere in the middle of nowhere, I can tell you that. Because there ain't nothing out there but that tree. But often to the distance, God lets Moses' eyes catch wind, if you will, or sight of a tree. All by itself, just a tree. The Bible says that when they got there, Moses showed, God showed Moses a tree, and Moses went and cut it down. You know, you know everybody in the camp of Israel is thinking Moses is delusional too with his thirst and dehydration, and he's seeing things because they tell him the water is bitter, and Moses says, throw a tree in it. We're going to fix it. That does not sound like how you fix bad water. Let me just help you with something. If your well goes out or your water gets contaminated, do not go outside and cut down a tree and throw it in there. That's not going to fix your water issue. It did work in the Bible, but that's not really how you fix bad water. It had nothing to do that the tree in and of itself was going to fix the water. It had to do with the act of faith of what God told Moses to do because God was going to fix the water. Sometimes God will ask you to do unexplainable things that make no sense. It has nothing to do that that's going to fix it. God just wants to see will you trust him even in the unexplainable. He's the one who was going to fix it all along. It had nothing to do with what you were going to do. It was him all along. And I started thinking about this. Nowhere in the scripture do we find what tree Moses cut down. We don't know if it was a cedar tree, a pine tree sycamore tree, a juniper tree. We don't know what kind of tree. The Bible never tells us what tree he cut. Because really the tree wasn't really that important. We don't know the reason or the source of the bitterness. We never know why Mara's waters were bitter. We don't know if it was contaminated by animal fecal matter. We don't know if it was contaminated by stagnant water and it just wasn't. We do not know the reason why Amara's waters were contaminated, but Aline's waters were, were purified. We don't know. But we do know something about this. We know that in between of seasons of rejoicing and seasons of blessings, there's reality called life. And sometimes we can't understand what's going on in life. 
Sometimes we go through seasons that we can't explain. We don't know why God lets us walk through certain places. We don't know why he leads us through desertous roads. We don't know why we're going through the situation. There's times in life we don't know why we were, we were worshiping him here and we felt his blessings over there. But in the middle of it all, sometimes we feel like we don't know nothing at all. Life has just beaten us senseless. Notice the interesting aspect of this story. Moses doesn't listen to the crowd. He takes it to God. God shows him a tree. In your life and in my life, the devil and all of his imps in hell showed up to God one day to tell him how horrible you and I were and how we were worthless. God got to the point where he pretty much got tired of hearing how awful we were and how there was no way we'd ever mount to anything. And he sent his son from heaven to earth to fix the mess that the devil had put us in because we had listened to the voice of the enemy all the way back in the Garden of Eden. We had listened to the voice of doubt and confusion. And that voice had permeated and had, had created, if you will, a, a, a destructive spirit on the earth. And God said, I've had enough of this. So he sent his son down. Just like the waters at Mara. There are people that are walking around their lives, they are bitter, they are nasty, they are vindictive, they are they're just mean people, and you don't even know why. And sometimes they don't know why. They just are. They're just going through the motions. But God sent his son 2,000 years ago down here. And in the middle of our chaos, Brother James, in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our seasons of frustrations, in the middle of our seasons of bitterness, in the middle of our seasons of animosity, in the middle of our seasons of hurt and pain, Moses takes a tree that we don't know anything about and he puts it in water and he makes the water sweet for them to find refreshment. Tomorrow. God's son is crucified on a tree. We don't know what tree they put Jesus on. It doesn't tell us if it was a sycamore, pine tree. We do not know what Calvary's cross tree was made of because the tree is not what's important. It was what the tree represented, not the tree itself. The tree at Mara was not what was important. It was a representation of faith by Moses taking, going to that tree, putting his faith in taking the tree and putting it into the waters. And those waters would make, if you will, make refreshing, cool water. When I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and when you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, you didn't go to Calvary and actually touch the real cross because you don't know which tree or which cross was Christ. But we do know that by faith, when we go to God and say, God, my life is in disarray and everything around me is falling apart, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, everything he did on that tree many, many years ago, now comes into my life and it gives me rivers of living water it takes my bitterness and it takes my animosity and it takes my hurts my habits my hang-ups my addictions all of that nasty filth of my life the tree of Calvary comes and makes restitution and the Bible says Jesus came to reconcile us back to the Father what I'm here to tell you is just like that tree really didn't mean much of anything other than by faith being thrown into the water that Calvary the Bible said or the Apostle Paul said the preaching of the cross is is foolishness to some but to those of us that are peri perishing it is life and so what I'm here to tell you is 
you may not understand why you're going through what you're going through or what's going on but if you just put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ everything that happened over 2,000 plus years ago on a tree that you know not of you don't know what it was made of you don't know what tree get cut down from you may not even know why that you need it but when you go to Jesus like Moses and say God I don't know what else to do the power of the tree of Calvary is just as powerful as the tree of Mara he'll take everything that you're going through and he'll turn it around and make everything be alright just like that just like that I never know what tree Moses cut truthfully I'll never know what type of tree Jesus died on just like that tree at Mara changed the trajectory of the nation of Israel and helped them get from point A because once they got out of Mara, that's when they found Aline, that bountiful blessing, that place of resources. After they got out of Mara, they found 12 springs. They found 70 palm trees. Can I tell you that after I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, the tree of Calvary changed me, and I was able to be blessed by the Lord. Oh, taste and see the Lord, and hey, that He is good. The Bible tells me that God blesses His children, and He bestows bountiful blessings and benefits upon His children. When I gave my heart to Jesus, the tree of Calvary changed the trajectory of my life too. Ms. Carol, as you make your way. God is not interested in being in the diagnostic business. He is in the business of specializing in fixing things or the deliverance business. God's not interested in just diagnosing your problems. He wants to take care of the problem. See, sometimes in our lives... We want God to help us diagnose the problem. We just don't want God to take over the problem. The final reality, though, was not only was the water undrinkable, not only was the complaining uncontrollable, not only was the thirst unbearable, not only was the heat unbearable, not only was prayer unresistible, can I tell you that the power of God was unlimited? I mean, you can't take a tree and throw it in contaminated water and fix it. You let me go out there and find you a body, a body of water out there that's stagnated and dead and everything's dying in it, and I go cut a random tree down and throw it in there, and you see if it makes a difference. It ain't going to do nothing. The sticks just going to float away, or if it's heavy enough, sink to the bottom, and the water's still cruddy. It, it had nothing to do with that tree reality of it is the power of God is unlimited it doesn't matter what you're going through God's bigger than what you're going through and he's able to fix whatever it is you're going through we can rejoice all day long at the victories at the Red Sea we can refresh and repose into the shades of Elim and sit there and bask in the oasis of life but somewhere between the victory and the resting place, we'll find places of Mara. We'll find places that people are stuck in, live in, realizing they need more help than they realize they need. You see, the song of the Red Sea one day may lose its rhyme. The pleasantness of the oasis may lose its appeal.
But the power of God to provide whatever we have need of never changes. So whether I need God to cut me out a roadway in the middle of a sea, or whether I'm resting in the bountiful blessings and benefits of the Lord, or if I'm somewhere stuck in the middle of the two of them with the realities of life, God was God at the Red Sea. God was God in the oasis. God was also God in the middle of the realities of my life and the places of Mara. God was with me from the start to finish. And he was with me in every spot in between. I don't know where you are in your journey of faith. Whether you're, you just came out like someone like Sister Mary Weaver or Sister Alma, a victory of health, a victory of cancer, a victory of finances, or maybe you're over here saying, Pastor, man, it seems like everything I touch to gold, man. I'm getting promotions. I'm getting job promotions. I'm getting a raise. I'm, I mean, everything's just blessing after blessing after blessing. Well, praise the Lord. But the reality is there's probably more of us in this room that are not at the victory at the Red Sea and are not at the blessings. There's probably more people in church today, this morning, tonight, all across this nation. The reality is most of us are probably somewhere in between in the reality called life. Victory eight. It's been a while since we felt one, and we're not real. Rest, we don't feel real rested because right now it feels like everything around us is in turmoil. But the God of victory, the God of blessings, is the God that will be with us in the in between too. So you pick up that tambourine and you play. You may not can play like the band up here plays. You get a tambourine spiritually, and you beat the mess out of it. You play that tambourine. You don't let anybody tell you different. Because somewhere between the Red Sea and the Oasis, there are tambourines and trees that you need to be a part of. You need to find that tree called Calvary, and you need to play the tambourine or your timbrel. You say, Pastor, I don't play tambourines. I don't play music. That's fine. You say, Pastor, I can't sing my way up. If I sung, everybody would leave the church. It'd sound like a dying calf in a hailstorm. Nobody wants to hear it. That's okay. You say, Pastor, I can't sing on the praise team. I don't want to sing a solo. I don't play an instrument. That's okay. But if you've ever been at a victory at the Red Sea, or you've ever been at an oasis of Halim, or you've ever been in between, whether it's just an uplifted hand, whether it's in the middle of a song, I don't even care if it's on beat, even if it's off beat. Play, play, play. Worship Him, glorify Him, magnify Him, exalt His name forever. Just keep playing. Because you don't realize that it's like I said this morning, your praise your worship may not only just be effective for you, it may be effective for everyone around you. Miriam was just playing, worshiping God. But before she knew it, she had people following her, worshiping too. But somebody had to be the first person to grab the tambourine and just start playing. Just start playing. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Eternal Father, I have done my very best today preach the unadulterated word of God.
Father, I pray today that you will have let the words that have been spoken in this house, that have been spoken, God, this morning and this evening, those that have watched the services online, those that are a part of our online church, those that are part of this inside house church. God, I pray that you would let these words marinate, saturate our hearts. God, that everything we say and do, God, would bring glory and honor to you. Father, I know that there are many starting school tomorrow, our students. God, we have kids going into elementary school. We've got teenagers going into high school. We've got teenagers that are going into their senior year, and they are finishing up their scholastic work. Not all of them are walking into places of Christian and moral values. Not all of them are walking in places where your spirit is welcome. But ultimately, God, they can go and be your hands and feet extended in that place. Father, I pray today that for all of our students that were here this morning, those that are here tonight, as they start their schooling, God, they would be light and darkness. They would bring peace in the midst of chaos, and they'd bring joy in the midst of turmoil. I pray you would protect them, you'd shield them, you'd guide them, you'd overshadow them. You'd keep them. Father, I pray for this body of believers. Some will go to work. Some will have things to do this week. But ultimately, God, I pray that you would go with them. Father, may you bless them and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance towards them. Give them the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard their hearts till you come again. Let the words of our mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. God's people said amen. You'll stand all over the house. I'm going to ask Brother Mike King uh, to close us out in our benedictory prayer. So